Welcome to the Team Radical Podcast, a podcast that is dedicated to everything hunting in the great outdoors. If you guys love every aspect of hunting and the camaraderie that goes along with it, I promise you will love this podcast. Please make sure to leave us some positive reviews and those five stars. We appreciate it. Now, let's get to the show. All right, everyone. I'm your host, Kyle Harmon, for the Team Radical Podcast. I know it's been a hot minute since we've been on here, but really looking forward to this podcast. Here we are, the middle of March. Turkey season is right around the corner, just days away here for uh, for all of us here at Team Radical. And tonight, I'm really looking forward to this podcast because we got two absolutely turkey slaying machines going to be on this podcast. That's Nathan Adamson out of Illinois and Sean McCrory out of Missouri. We've had Sean on the podcast talking about his season, deer season uh, a couple episodes ago, but this, this podcast is going to be talking pure turkey hunting, and we're going to dive into public land turkey hunting, and they're going to give you some fantastic tips and strategies, and as well as private land hunting. We're going to talk about that as well. So really looking forward to this podcast. Turkey season is almost here, and uh, hopefully you guys will take something away from this podcast and with no further ado, we're going to hop on the line now with Nathan Adamson and Sean McCrory. Sean, can you I, still hear I me? I never had a missed never had a missed call from you. I don't know what the heck is going on. Yeah, I I literally tried calling you thirty seven times, and went straight to voicemail. <laughs> been sitting here in my office waiting. Well, you said I'm Gucci, and then I'm like, I asked Nate, I'm like, does that mean you're ready or not ready? I don't I don't know. I don't know that lingo. I'll speak abonics. <laughs> All right, so we're good to go. All right, guys. Well, on the phone now, finally, we have Sean McCrory and Nathan Adamson. And uh, how you guys doing tonight? Doing good, man. Uh, doing- not too bad. Good. Got done peeling a bunch. Of- Got done what? Peeling a bunch of crawfish. Oh, gonna have a big old broil. Or you did have one? Oh, we had we had one this weekend. We had more saltfish than we had people so right on it should have called me i would have been down quick (laughs) all right so guys tonight we're doing a podcast talking about everything basically turkey hunting and you know you guys are straight up killers when it comes to turkey hunting especially out of state um on public land and everything you know even private too and i kind of want to just dive into all of that and uh to start off though i really want to uh, rewind a little bit to last year, you know, with COVID and everything. Um, can you guys give me a recap of what it was like with, with COVID and everything going around? Uh, were any of the states shut down or will they be this year? I mean, fill me in on that. And what states did you guys hunt last year? Uh, Nathan, you go first. Well, uh, I started last year in Southern Illinois, but I typically do. Um, go down there and hunt my old stomping grounds with uh, with a buddy of mine. We try to make that trip every year, and then uh, then I spent a couple uh, couple weekends hunting with Nikki up around home, trying to get her a bird. Then uh, then I ended up in Indiana, beating up the public ground down there in southern Indiana. Ended up uh, getting together with a buddy of mine after getting my tail kicked for about a week straight. Uh, went up to northern Indiana and hunted with him and uh, tried the whole reaping, crawling behind the decoy trick, and uh, finally punched the Indiana tag. And then, uh, yeah, the the last trip I made was, what was that, Sean? The, around the 15th of May, met up with Sean. Think, 
was second to last weekend in May. Was it? Yeah. yeah. And then my trip. Uh, what state was that? Wisconsin. Uh, I filled, uh, shot two turkeys in a matter of about two hours up there on uh, on day two, I do believe. Was that public or private? It was actually private, but I was uh, I was about 200 yards off of where I was hunting this flock of birds um, on uh, a public piece. Um, it was actually a private piece that um, they have a, a state program that they, uh, you know, landowners enroll in that uh, allow spring turkey hunting. But the the birds seem to favor the the si- cut silage field adjacent to it. So watched them mess around there for uh, a day and uh, actually seen the farmer feeding the cows uh, when I got uh, done hunting one day and uh, struck up a conversation with him and he turned me loose and next morning I went in there and filled two permits. So worked out pretty well. Can't beat that. And how about you, Sean? I got my tail kicked all over Wisconsin. They killed what was the first or second day? Second day? Second day, yep. Right, Almost right off fly down. We beat it up for about four days. Had our tongues dragging out. So I was driving home and spotted uh, some birds in a alfalfa field. Pulled up my Onyx. Figured out where the landowner lived. Pulled in. Knocked on the door. Got permission. And within 15 minutes of asking permission, had two birds in the truck. Jeez. And headed back to Missouri with two punch tags after four days of just getting my ass handed to me. Yeah, right on. What other states did you hit up then? Last year was kind of wild. Uh, luckily, I went ahead and bought a Nebraska permit before the whole COVID thing hit. And was lucky enough to go up there in early uh, March, or late March, I guess, or their early archery season and uh, muddled around some public ground for three days and finally got on a bird the last afternoon. I mean, it was just as picture perfect as it could have worked out. Sometimes it's nice to kill them on the first day. Sometimes it's cool to ride it out, grind it, and kill them on the last. Yeah, right on. Well, overall, overall, you guys had a pretty good year, though, last year, right? I mean, from what I I saw. Yeah, we made a trip over to Kansas, and Stormy and I both got times there. Oh heck yeah! So for this made year, for 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 the, yeah for this year, what's your what's your states you guys are hitting this year? Um, Sean, go ahead and start where you where uh, take us through where you're going this year. Um, and what is it? Two weeks from now, I'm heading to Nebraska doing the early archery again for their opening. Opener Stormy and I are heading there. Um, gonna, actually, I think we're going to try to hit some new areas in Nebraska, some places we haven't been before. Just try something new. Uh, when we go, this, it's just going to be a three-day trip. I get off work on Thursday, and we're going to head up north and take a little two-man tent and just camp on the side of the road and whatever public ground we come to and just kind of keep mobile. Try to keep uh, – when I do that, it's just – Trying to, trying to find a goblin bird when you're only there for three days. I don't waste a lot of time on just sitting in one spot waiting for them. I bounce public, 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 public until I find one. 
And if there's some private along the way and it looks like there's birds on it, I have no issues knocking on doors. <laughs> yeah, I can only look at turkeys on a private field for so long before I got to start figuring something out. Oh, <laughs> uh, and you would be truly amazed how many people that, that like, especially up towards Kansas and uh, southeast Nebraska, central Nebraska, you knock on a door, they're like, yeah, come shoot, shoot, shoot them all. <laughs> like, yeah, for sure. We'll buy your tank for you. So you're doing Nebraska and Kansas again. Obviously, you live in Missouri. Um, any other states besides those? Uh, if we kill out pretty quick in Nebraska and Kansas, uh, I've been wanting, I've been having an itch to go down to Oklahoma and hunt the black kettle. Haven't made it down there ever, but it's just something about it draws me to it. Great big expansive lands, chase turkeys in. Right on. And what about you, but, Nate? <laughs> staying super mobile. Right on. Uh, as far as different states go, uh, really don't have anything set in stone right now. Uh, my number one goal for this season is to try to get Nikki to fill her uh, first turkey permit ever. She's had a couple rough goes last couple years, so uh, that's my uh, number one mission, I think. But me and Sean, we talked about uh, maybe Nikki and I uh, running over to Missouri and teaming up with them for a couple days once their season opens up. But uh, I've had the opportunity to uh, maybe go back to Indiana, so I might do that as well. Just nothing really set in stone right now. As as you know, Kyle's kind of kind of hard to really plan stuff when you got a got little baby at home, you know, and for sure whatnot. So uh, just kind of winging it right now. And the one trip was I do got uh, set in stone that I am going on which is, it's in uh, Illinois. We just go down to the Shawnee, like I said earlier, and beat up the public down there for a few days, uh, first season. So right that's on. coming up a week. So pretty jazzed about that to Heck go yeah. where it all started. Heck yeah. Well, since you brought that up, um, I'm just going to start off with you. We're going to get this started here. Um, you're, you're talking about Shawnee. You're talking about Illinois. And obviously I'm in Illinois. And I'm sure anybody from Illinois realizes the tag system here to get turkey permits is an absolute nightmare. Uh, it's a it's a pain in the butt even for the people that live here. Absolutely. Matter of fact, I was just telling Nate before this um, that we we have uh, got some checks in the mail, return checks because we didn't draw um, on our, our second tags for for Illinois. So that sucks. I mean, basically, I can only shoot one turkey now instead of two. And you are limited to seasons. You've got right. five seasons. And, you know, if you have something come up on your season, you know, you got a family emergency or you got to go somewhere that weekend or whatever, you're screwed. You don't even get a hunt. Right. I mean, it's completely bogus. So right. I, guess, I guess with that being said, um, I'm sure that is something you guys definitely look at whenever you're searching for other states to go hunt. Sure. Uh, um, how the tag system works and how many tags you can get and, and, and so on. So with that being said, I, I guess um, really, and I'll start with you, Sean, on this, but how do you pick what states you want to go to turkey hunt? I mean, is it based on the species of the turkey you want to hunt? Or is it, like I said, about the tags and um, the pressure? or wh- what, what does that consist of? What does that look like? What, what's, uh, what intrigues you to go to these different states? 
Well, I can throw a rock and hit Illinois from where I live, and I've never turkey hunted Illinois. So that says something for your tagging system, your tag system. <laughs> yeah, amen to that. I, I will drive 400 miles in a different state. <laughs> Don't blame me. So basically what I pick is where I can hunt where it's not in my season in Missouri. Because I like to take my dad, I like to take Stormy, I like to take my nephews, my nieces. And I like in Missouri when it's our season, I just kind of hunt here, bounce around with whoever's got a tag in their pocket. I just like calling them turkeys. I love it. But like Nebraska season starts well before Missouri, so I get an opportunity to hunt turkeys in March in Nebraska, and I take advantage of it almost every year. And then we usually take a short trip in, uh, in March up to Nebraska on a weekend, and then we take a bigger trip that splits the archery and shotgun season with Nebraska and Kansas. And we basically camp right on the border and hunt both states back and forth. Kind of, I mean, I'll hunt Kansas and Nebraska in the same day and just bounce back and forth wherever the birds are gobbling. I mean, wherever I'm having the best luck, that's where I hunt. Wisconsin is a cool state, and Nathan can attest to this. I think your first tag was 50 bucks, and after that, it was 15. Yeah. Non resident, non resident turkey tags. And it's basically, they got the seasons broken up like Illinois, but they, your later seasons, you have leftover tags. And anything that's left over, you can buy tags in Wisconsin, I believe, until they run out of their quota. Which is a lot. After your first one. So there's almost yeah. always leftover, you're saying? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And last year, there was more tags. I mean, there, there was a ton of tags left over for the season that Nate and I went. There was a lot of birds there. The terrain was... It was brutal. The terrain was brutal. <laughs> I don't know that I uh, paid enough attention to the uh, topo lines on the map before I I uh, decided on a location to go on that trip, but I guess it worked out. But my knees and and back and everything hated me when I got back home. Yeah, I can imagine. So I guess um, with that being said, um, you guys both, I mean, when you, I'm assuming you're you're looking at public land to start. I mean, you're, you've got a public yeah. land picked out. And- you got to have a plan that's always public ground. I mean, you, know, you don't want to assume that you're going to get permission anywhere. Right, right. And if something happens where there's private close by or whatever and you see birds there you're not afraid to make the jump over there make a phone call use your onyx find the landowner and all that good stuff yeah onyx maps is the greatest greatest tool in history for a turkey hunter because you see turkeys strutting in the field you're able to look up an address you can go straight to that door knock on it and i have never once and i probably have knocked on 200 doors for turkeys I've never once had anybody actually get mad at me for knocking on their door. So it's never been a confrontation or anything. So, I mean, there should be no fear in doing it. Everybody's usually thankful that you asked versus just going. Sure. I used to be about doing it. And I think most of my, uh, fear or whatever came from doing it so much during, uh, or trying to get deer hunting permission and deer hunting's just a, it's a whole different ball game when it comes to, uh, getting uh permission so 
like Sean said, uh, when it comes to getting permission for turkey hunting people, or it, it's a lot easier task, and uh, I, I became a lot more comfortable with, uh, you know, knocking on doors and gaining permission myself. Right on. Now, and a lot of times, go ahead. knock on a door. When you, knock, when you knock on a door, landowners not only own ground for you on the property that you want to hunt on, but one of my farms in Nebraska, the guy, I think he had 400 acres there. He said, I have like 1,200 acres in another spot and another 400 acres in another spot. There's birds everywhere on those places. And just, just by simply knocking, I, I bought it. I, after after the hunt was over, I told me and I both killed birds off of that place, I think, two years ago. And uh, I bought him a $100 gift card to a restaurant in town. And every year since then, they've been basically just as nice as they can be. They offer, you know, I, they tell me I can shower at their house because I camp all the time. Maybe it's because I smell when I come to the door. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings me to that, that brings me to the next topic. Is I know you mentioned this several times now, but it sounds like when you go out of state, you're you're basically set up for camping. I mean, you're. You're not looking at hotels. Yeah. You're you're wanting to camp. I do it the cheapest way humanly possible. I buy the I mean I buy the tag, I pay for the gas, and then everything after that is bologna sandwiches and ramen noodles. So and so what do you what do you have what do you have wrapped up in these hunts? Give me give me a number. Figure I got four hours of driving, maybe hundred dollars in gas. Nebraska's tags $125, and I already have all the camping stuff. Once you have the camping stuff, you're good. And so, I mean, if you're going to only fill one tag, you get $250, $300 in an out-of-state hunt. And the cool thing about turkeys, they tell you where they're at. Sure. You're not wasting your time on a piece of ground that doesn't have turkeys on it, because if you're not hearing them, you just go to another piece of ground. And that's the cool thing about having a tent. You don't have any stakes in the ground. I mean, I guess you do, literally. But figuratively, you don't. <laughs> right. I mean, you can move. Right, yeah. If you're in southeast Nebraska, the birds aren't gobbling, the weather sucks. You can move up to north Nebraska, or you can move down to Kansas or wherever. I mean, wherever the weather's good. I think Nate did that in Nebraska. Was it uh, two years ago? Yep. Yeah, we <laughs> in three days, we covered the whole damn state. <laughs> I mean, you, you don't have stakes in the ground. You don't have anywhere you have to be. I mean, you're there to hunt turkeys and hunt turkeys only. So yeah. move where the weather's good, move where the birds are at, where they're acting good. And you the, feel like a eight and a half bird marion. <laughs> the, the times where I've, you know, have had a cabin or rented a cabin or even got a hotel and stayed at, I made sure that. You know, the, the the reason being for some of those was just to be more comfortable and, uh, you know, and, you know, inclement weather, you know, was projected for the week. But to me, when I do take a place to stay, it's, it's because there's a lot of public ground in that area. Like Sean said, if, if you only got a thousand acres to hunt and then you got to drive 45 minutes to an hour to the next spot, then you don't want to be tied down to a hotel room or 
you know, a cabin rental. So it's, it's best to either just sleep in the cab of the truck or the tent, you know, like you said, so you can stay on your feet and cover some ground if you need to. You know, the, the main thing you get, you got to get away from people and find that, find that one that wants to talk. Yeah. So basically you're thinking like four, four to 500 bucks. I mean, you're in, you're in, I mean, granted, if you're camping, you're probably going to be around 350 to 500 bucks on a, on an out of state turkey hunt. Yeah. I think I did Wisconsin for 400, 450. I do believe that was, uh, $65. Two, two tags, right? Uh, yeah, two tags. The second one was 15 bucks and it could have been even cheaper because hell, uh, we had to rent our campsite and I want to say that was like 15 bucks a night. So you, we could have found a, a campsite that was, uh, you know, uh, free to stay in, but the reason we chose that one is because we had power there and need to charge cameras and all the good stuff, you know, it just made that, that part a little easier. And we ended up both paying for the campground. Right on. So we both ended up paying for the campground. Right. Yeah. Okay, so exactly. you know that's that's a relatively that's a super cheap hunt. I mean, super cheap. Oh, and I and I guess and the other cool part too is like while you're out there, I'm not saying you're scouting deer or whatever, but you can see the lay of the land and maybe get some leads for deer hunting if you wanted to go out there deer hunting or whatever critters out there. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So it's, and that, that vice versa, you know, thoughts on deer hunt, I'm looking for turkey sign too. So. uh yeah, yeah. Just, we're always keeping an eye open on deer sign when when we are in these new areas because never know when you're going to want to scratch that itch, you know. Yeah, for sure. Well, I've I've made some trips to Nebraska trying to deer hunt. I have any success, but I mean, it, I do the same thing: throw a tent up, you know, do my best over a weekend. I mean. These turkey hunts, you can do, you don't have to make a week of it. You can do, like, that Wisconsin trip was, what, a three-day weekend for both of us, pretty much, when we killed four birds between two of us on public ground. I mean, mostly hunting public ground and about getting private access. But Wow, that's awesome. So, yeah, um, go ahead. Both of us, we each live in a state that, you know, we can get in to several other states just by driving three, four, you know, maybe even five hours, you know, we can, between Missouri and Illinois, we, we got a lot of bordering states, you know, so you can, there's not a lot of fuel cost necessarily. Um, if you want to cover some ground and try some different areas out. And touching back on what makes you pick a state like Wisconsin, Nebraska, Kansas, a lot of other states are all day turkey. I know Missouri and Illinois are only till what's Illinois? Is it noon or one? One. Yep, one o'clock. And Missouri one as well. Like when you go to Nebraska, Kansas, Wisconsin, I think Minnesota, it's uh, all several others. It's all day hunting. Yeah, and Indiana, uh, like except for on uh, DNR own ground, I think it was uh, either noon or one o'clock on public ground over there. I tell you what, all day turkey hunting is all you want to do to and keep going all day. It whoops your tail. You know what's crazy? Other than other than my two Wisconsin birds, uh, I've shot turkeys in I think five states other than Illinois, and all of them but Wisconsin, the birds were shot two p.m. or later. Yeah, really. 
I, yeah, I, th- there's just a lot of my birds that go. They're a whole different in the afternoon. Yeah, and most people have given up after that early morning gobbling on the public. I mean, most of your residents, when you pull up to a piece of ground, you'll see a lot of residents slice your place. But after like 9 o'clock, every one of those vehicles are gone. And you got pretty much the place to yourself. Yeah. Can't beat that. And so, and one of, one of the why I always go early in Nebraska is because nobody wants to bow hunt turkeys. And I get it. But it sucks. It's hard. They, they're an animal that was never meant to be bow hunted. So they have a but bow hunting only season. Is that right? Yeah. Missouri are that's right. Nebraska and Kansas have archery only seasons. Interesting. And, and that's before the firearm seasons start up then or yeah. is it during? Yeah. And you have basically all the public down to yourself. Sean, did you say and that was be- did you say that was before the firearm seasons? Yeah, it's before the firearm season. I think Nebraska's is two weeks long before the firearm firearm season. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. It starts uh, starts next, not this coming weekend, but next. Right on. There. I mean, bow hunting turkeys is tough, but whenever it works out, it's sweet. Yep. So moving on from that, um, which we've talked about multiple states or quite a few different states now. Um, Nathan, I'll start. I'll start with you, Nathan. Um, For mapping strategies and and scouting procedures, what are you doing? Um, is it, I mean, obviously you start from an area. I mean, you start with your onyx. Um, what are you, what are you looking for? Uh, uh the first thing I, I, once I determine a part of the state that I want to focus on from, you know, harvest reports and talking to biologists and I'll, which will also coincide with, you know, also when I'm doing that, I'm also looking at what parts of the state have the most public ground. Cause I like having, um, opportunities you know in close proximity to one another or to have huge vast chunks of public to where i can get away from pressure um so that that's probably the first thing on a broad spectrum as i'm looking at big chunks or a ton a ton of smaller chunks you know when i say small i mean you know any like several you know parcels that are averaging in hundred size, you know, opposed to, you know, one chunk of a thousand. Um, so I just, that way you have opportunities to hunt not only different flocks, but again, to try to get away from, you know, the pressure as well. But, um, and I'm sure you're trying to find those in a close proximity to each other. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You don't, you don't want to, waste a lot of time you know driving if you if you if you can't so um so yeah that's what i first find is uh those big blocks and then then i dive into looking at what the the composition of the area is like um i tend to like to stay in big woods units or parcels because it seems like wherever where where i've been if there's a field or a food plot somewhere there's always going to be a hunter on it because they want to see a turkey come out to the field and strut and do his thing, you know, throw out the decoys and, and wait. They don't want to walk miles into a big block and try to dig them out of the, 
out of the timber, you know? So, um, I try to stick to the, the big woods units, um, where it is, you know, like that, you know, in the Shawnee and Southern Indiana, and you know, when I went to Georgia, um, as far as mapping features that I look for in the big woods units, I'm looking for, um, like converging hubs on the topo map where a bunch of drainages and creeks and ridges come and meet and make a hub. Uh, I've learned over the years, a lot of turkeys will, uh, will roost, you know, flying off of those points of those ridges over those creeks and drop offs. And it's, they're great spots to listen to from, cause you can hear a ton of different ridges from being far away and be able to pinpoint stuff without really getting in there and shaking it up. Um, another a good, uh, mapping feature I like to, um, find is like a big, long, uh, running ridge that has a nice deep drop off that's easterly facing, especially early season, um, because that, it gets the 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 first bit of sun and it really warms stuff up for them, especially if there's uh, hardwoods on that ridge and it's a there's a nice wide creek bottom that stuff tends to green up first in the year and it seems like. Those early season birds that I get, they're typically in those spots like that before the foliage really gets thick. And um, like I said, it's still cool outside and they need that sun to heat up. Right. Um, another thing that is kind of conducive to what I said about the open area and food plots is uh, power line and pipeline uh, cut throughs. These seem to be a little different um, from field edges and the food plot. Um, strategy just because they tend to be further back on the parcels that I've seen or that's where I focus on them at is those parts that, you know, the furthest from the the parking lot. Um, it just seems that these are spots where it's not like a turkey can look across the big field that they have to come by these little clear cuts multiple times a day if they want to look across the ridge quickly, you know, if that makes sense, you know, they can't look across the 200 acre field um but they can look several hundred yards down a power line or pipeline clear cut you know if, it, if it's clean and it it seems uh you know they got to keep that stuff well maintained and there always seems to be birds around uh you know pipelines or power lines especially in the big timber right on uh sean you got anything to add to that I am what you would call a impatient turkey hunter. <laughs> I, whenever I plot maps out, I drop pins on anything that I can possibly have access to it that looks like it may have ever had a turkey walk through it. And I, I usually have a, a go-to place for the morning where I know that there's birds at, but if that doesn't pan out, I take the truck, I start hitting these little 50 to 100 to 200 acre patches of public or uh, walking ground and just call from the road. Maybe go in 150 yards, hit a high point, call, nothing, jump back to the truck, take off to the next one until I find a hot bird that covers as much ground as I possibly can. And I don't, I don't put a lot of thought in the spot like looking for the spot to find a turkey i think nate's a lot better at that like picking apart a 
10,000 acre piece of woods and saying the turkey's going to be right here. I'm, I'm, I'm bumping, I'm grinding, I'm hitting everything that I can hit as fast as I can hit it until I get on a bird that wants to talk to me. And then once I find a bird that wants to talk to me, that's the bird that I go after. I, that's, that's the way I look. Like Nebraska and Kansas is full of like, small walk-in sure. It's all situational, really, on what... what oh, I agree. Um, like I said, it, it's a, in the areas where the public, my opportunities are like that, you know, it's for sure a run and gun just, you know, like like Sean, you, you get in there, you try it, nothing, if nothing's hot, on to the next spot, you know? I don't, I, I don't sit and wait much. So, Sean, it it's sounds like bird. to me that you do a lot of, like you just said, but you drive your truck, park your truck, shut it off, get out, hit, strike up a call, no response, you're gone? I might walk, I'm like, you can look at your topo lines, and you might be able to hit a high spot not far off the road. Some spot you can cast a call, cover a lot of ground, you hear a bird, you, don't, you go after it, you don't, you hit the truck, yeah. Okay. I, I like to cover a lot of ground that way quick. I mean, there's situations where, like I said, if I have like my go-to spot for the morning where I know that there's birds at, like I'll beat that down until, you know, the end of fly down gobbling, and then I take to the road. And then once gobbling starts picking up in the afternoon again, where I know the birds on my go-to farm is going to be good or the go-to piece of public is going to be good, I'll head back that way and I'll, I'll beat on those birds more. But other than that, I'd I try to cover as much ground as humanly possible in the time that I am I'm, I'm allotted. Right. So every year I go to the, on so, a hunt and I say I'm going to take it easy. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to enjoy turkey hunting. I'm just going to come back to camp, cook, cook breakfast, and every year I just go balls to the wall till the till the bell rings at the end. Because you're ate up. So so my question, my my my. So my question with that though is, okay, you pull up the spot, nothing gobbles, and you know you hit a cup more, nothing gobbles or whatever, and you know a lot of times, at least here, it seems like there's that certain time that they they shut up, no gobbles, and so yeah. what what are you doing during that time frame? Are you picking a piece and be like, you know, let's let's go track it and and uh, see if we can get something to fire. I'm What's that? I, I don't like I don't like hunting turkeys that don't gobble. If they're not going to come in gobbling and play the game like it's supposed to be played, I, I really don't much care for hunting them. I don't like sitting in the blind waiting for one. I like taking off after a gobbling bird. And even there is, I mean, there is a time where gobbling slows down. But in my mind, there's a bird somewhere that wants to play. That'll fire up. That time of year, there's a bird somewhere that wants to play. You just got to hit them right. Yep. You got to get, I mean, you might just have to be in a bubble. But somewhere, someplace, there's a bird that wants to play. And I like to just hit the road running and beat it down. I mean, in a day, in an average day that's not getting a lot of gobbling, I might hit 25 pieces of public ground in Kansas or Nebraska because they're so much like small piece so many small pieces in that area and just, and just until i find one that wants to play yep and what about you nathan 
Um, I'm more of a uh, if if I know a bird's in an area, I'll I'll, I'll be a little patient with them. It, it really all depends on the days I have allocated and the the sign I'm seeing along the way, um, and, and the uh, and the pressure and the opportunity the opportunity of the ground I got. You know, it all just a, a lot of things go into play. You know, it's all situational to me. You know. If I am seeing a bunch of hunters, you know, and the birds aren't talking much and uh, I only have a couple days left and yeah, I'm going to hunt a little more aggressively and, you know, do a little more running gunning and cover as much ground as possible. But I, I, if, if I got three, four days allocated to hunt of actual hunt days, um, then I like to take the first few days slow and, if I do got a say a thousand acre chunk that's there, then I'm I'm probably gonna spend most of the day one on it, um, just just listening to birds. If I can't get on one, other than that, my eyes are on the ground. It, even if I see a track, it's marked on Onyx, and just keeping track of all the scratchings and stuff. Any, anything, even a feather, anything that resembles a turkey lives there. I'm keeping track of it and I'm, I may go, you know, check out another spot. You know, it, it, it all really depends. Um, like I said, it's situational. Most of the time though, if I hear a bird, say I go into a thousand acre parcel and I hear a bird and I know not many people are going that far back there, then I will be patient and wait them out. Cause I will hunt and sit on a bird for two days to kill it. I much rather do that. I, I don't, I don't know why. I like finding that hot one, but there's something about, you know, you get a, a vendetta against one of them that, you know, he's with a hen, you know, he's on that ridge. You just got to put your timing on him. And then, then once you do, um, you know, notch your tag on him, it, it's, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. But like I said, it's, it's all situational, man, uh, on really what the birds are doing. Like, like Southern Illinois last year, See, with it with that hunt we usually allocate two scouting days before you know that first season opens on a monday so we can listen saturday morning saturday night sunday morning sunday night and then we're scouting all day long and with that bird i shot last year we actually roosted opening morning went to the spot i roosted birds sunday morning and sunday night got right underneath of them they flew down i missed a shot um, ended up going to another spot and getting on another midday bird that I heard gobble at one o'clock just scouting on Saturday. Um, and with, he just gobbled at me walking down the, the two tracks and with my feet in the leaves. And I marked it, got out of there, and he's back up in there midday on opening day, but could never quite get a shot at him. And then uh, day two, went up in. Uh, to the same spot, uh, played around with him. He never came close again and then went back to uh, a spot I heard a midday gobble on on Sunday and um, that I had marked and shot that bird that came in, I think it was at high noon on day two. But first season was different last year for whatever reason. Um, so, so what I'm saying is we, we covered three or four different spots just in uh, – the first day really of hunting um down in the shawnee but that was you know due to the birds were 
gobbling hard from Saturday morning when we started listening all throughout uh, Saturday and Sunday and even Monday we heard birds from when they woke up to when they went to bed. So we knew a lot of the birds were acting right. We needed to cover ground if we weren't finding one. So plus last year, I don't know if Sean had the same instances, but every day last year with COVID going on seemed to be a Saturday in the woods. There was people everywhere. So we were just trying to find the right bird and to get away from people. So we cover ground, but the, the birds were acting right. And, uh, it was, um, the, uh, I guess it made the best sense. You know, when, when the birds are gobbling good, it's best to just keep moving and find the right one. But for me, if I got a big uh, parcel I'm working and the birds aren't exactly vocal or maybe, you know, they're, they're vocal on the limb, but they're hinned up, then I'll be a little more patient because if he gobbles at nine o'clock, 10 o'clock in the morning, and even if I can get inside that bubble and I can't get him killed by one o'clock, then I'll know he's more than likely going to roost somewhere in that vicinity. And I'll, I'll be in there all the way till dark to where hopefully if I can't watch him fly up, I'll at least hear him and I'll be right underneath of him the very next morning. So, I'm a, a little more patient um, when it comes to sitting on a bird all day, you know, in order to, you know, better my chances for the next day, you know. But like I said, it all depends on, you know, the time that I have allocated for the hunt and sure. what the birds are actually doing, whether they're end up talking really good or not, or, you know, what the pressure's like. So, yeah. So, uh, with it's a perfect, you know, you kind of just got to, um, I, I've, I've always made the joke with my buddies cause they know like when we show up to Turkey camp, I have all these waypoints I want to check out, you know, in order, but they, they tell me my number one rule that I've always said, even though I try to break it every year, is you got to take it step by step with these damn things. You know what I mean? And you just got to take it slow and let them tell you what to do. You know what I mean? Let the pressure tell you how to hunt. And yeah. Which, all I, which I guess that'll really translate or really work our way into the next topic the next two topics i really want to cover is calling and decoys so i'm curious first of all i want to start with decoys do you guys use decoys frequently on public land and if you and if you do what kind of decoys are you using what does your spread look like um sean sean i'll start with you my shotgun hunt, I use, I carry nothing but the mouth calls. I mean, I, I'm running guns. Everything is wide open, as fast as I can move, covering ground. Uh, bow hunting, that's a different story. You almost have to have that decoy present to distract the bird long enough to get drawn back, especially hunting without a blind. Uh, I mean, even when I bow hunt, I don't hunt with a blind. Sometimes, like, if I have a good early morning setup, I might be able to put pitch a blind. But the rest of the day is all run and gun, basically the same way that I would shotgun hunt, but with a bow. But I do use it. I use. A, I try to use only a single hen. For bow, for bow hunting, just a, just a single hen decoy? Yeah, just because I hate carrying more than one decoy. Okay. I, I have them. 
start off my year carrying both of them. Usually about halfway through the first day, I ditch the Jake. <laughs> right and on. then I just hunt in the rest of the year. Now, are you doing that on private and public both? Like it doesn't matter? Or do you see a difference yeah. in public, public versus private? I, I, I very rarely do I take the Jake decoy out. And so if Stormy and I are hunting together, I might stuff the hen decoy in her vest and the Jake and mine, and we might carry them for the first couple of days bow hunting. But after that, I, I don't, because the Jake hen setup is the most commonly used thing, I think, on the on public ground. Anybody that hunts, I think that's the setup that they use. So, Okay. I, I try to steer away from that. I just use I, I just use a hen and like Nebraska and Kansas, these are the two states that I hunt the most up in Missouri. There is a huge population of Jakes. And last year I ran into it on my early archery hunt in Nebraska that anytime you called and you got a bird to gobble, you wanted to shut up on that bird as fast as humanly possible because it wasn't long before the Jakes were coming. And the, every time, any time that I got a time gobbling hard, Jake's would come, a whole flock of Jake's would come and whoop the crap out of that goblin and just run them off. So basically the only birds that I, the birds that I killed in Nebraska last year, I got them to gobble one time. So Nebraska birds is not hard to tell Jake gobble Tom gobble. Like Jake's gobble almost like a hen that, like a Caitlin Henner, maybe. <laughs> and, like, it's not hard to tell the difference, but I got a time to gobble. I never called that bird one more time, like, falling on him. Like, I did. It was just soft birds and putt. Just enough to let him know I was there. And the only thing I heard after that first gobble was spitting and drumming. And I had Jake just to the, about 100 yards to the left of me the entire time doing their stupid Jake gobbles and yelping, carrying on. And that Tom was wary of coming in to me because he thought those Jakes were there. Because the Jakes dominate. If you got more Jakes than you have Toms, the, the Jakes dominate. Um, so, I, I mean, there I don't like to use Jake decoys at all. Like, not at all. Because I, it seems like the Jakes are dominant there. And the Toms won't come into them. But other than that, I hate carrying decoys so i just don't fair enough what about you nate uh i absolutely hate carrying too but i uh i find myself always having one um as far as which one i if i didn't know what i was getting into as far as the bird composition or the flock you know how many you know jakes or two-year-olds are in a bunch you know on a ridge then I will have a Jake in my vest. Uh, I'm almost nine times out of 10, never carry a hen. If I'm carrying, I usually only carry one decoy and that's either a Jake or a full strut decoy. And nine times out of 10, it's the Jake over the strutter. Um, but I won't set it out a lot of times. Um, it all depends on, um, where I'm hunting. And what my scouting is telling me as far as, um, you know, what, what I think the flock's like, like, uh, like last year in Southern Illinois, you know, the, 
there seemed to be a lot of, you know, birds spilled or toms roosted together. So I figured, you know, that they were still trying to figure out that pecking order and the Jake decoy was the way to go. And, and, uh, there's definitely something said for early season, Jake. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or, or a strutter. If I'm on a field edge or if I have an early season, uh, tag the word that I am hunting any open country, then I will use a strutting decoy um, just to give it more of a visual profile. Um, and again, that's that's only if I know there's several toms, at least two or three together, roosted within a few hundred yards of one another. Um, especially if they seem to gobble a lot, that means, in my opinion, that they, uh, you know, they're still mad at each other and don't want to be buddies and Especially if I if I can pinpoint a roost, I will almost every single time use a Jake decoy or a strutter, just for the simple fact that they're that's the most pissed off I feel that a Tom's going to be in the morning, and the the more um, apt he is to to approach your decoys first thing right out of bed when you can see that thing from the limb of his tree, he's he's already pissed off you know, waking up on the wrong side of the bed, you know what I mean? Um, now, later in the day, if, uh, you know, if it is early season, then I'll just stick with the, with the Jake if I do put it out. But I usually do have it in my vest. But like I said, it'll be the only one I usually carry. Now, in Wisconsin, though, uh, last year, late in the year, uh, you know, what would we say, third week of March, uh, watch that field and Jake, just like uh, Sean's uh, Nebraska experience, the Jakes were pushing these long beards around away from these hens. And after I gained permission from this old boy, I, I sat on his field that evening um, and hunted that, uh, you know, trying to get one to come up to the roost and use the strutter decoy. Uh, just like I said, to see if anything would see it across that field and uh, the Jakes did and they came in and harassed it and it was kind of cool you know watching them do their thing but I knew the next morning uh, there's no way I was going to use you know any male decoy at all and it, I, this, I, I ended up using a hen which goes against everything I I never use a lone hen ever but <laughs> I did and it worked out great because the hens that were with the toms, they, they gobbled twice on the limb, hit the ground, shut up. I could hear the hens, but there's a, a boss hen in the group that just did not like my hen decoy, and she brought the two strutters that were behind her right on out. And that has never happened in my life. More times than not, if a gobbler's with a hen and I have a hen decoy out, that hen will see my hen decoy and get pissed off and go the other way. So... I try to stay away from the lone hens and no matter what situation I'm in. Um, but like I said, if, if I had to pick just one that at least just carry, it's going to be just a, an avian X half strut Jake for me. Okay. Fair enough. And with that being said, and we're talking about setting out decoys, um, you know, you're on public or private don't matter, but, um, are you guys trying to okay? You're it's it's getting it's starting to break light. You don't know if the, where the turkeys are at yet, <coughs> and you're just standing out there trying to hear a gobble. When you hear that first gobble, 
What is your first move? Do you try to push in as far as you possibly think you can get? Or do you what or what's the buffer? Like how how far um do you try to stay away, I guess. So I guess what's your first what's your first move after you hear that gobble? I'll start with you, Sean. For me after our if the first gobble's in a place where I think the bird's very killable, I take off almost immediately, almost a dead run towards that bird to try to use whatever darkness I have to get as close as possible with the best terrain that I can. What do you mean mean best terrain between you and him? If I can get on the same ridge as the bird or if I can get on that same plane as that bird, um, if you're hunting fairly thick country, try to find some open timber nearby where he would feel comfortable flying down and coming to where he can see a little ways. Uh, but if I'm not in a piece of ground where I, I hear that first gobble and I think there's going to be more birds than one, like I like to listen and try to decipher out which bird's going to be the best bird to hunt. But I, I do love having the advantage of darkness to work with. Sure. If that bird's gobbling, there's plenty of, plenty of darkness to get close to him. Because that gives you an opportunity to get fairly close, get a decoy out if you're using one and settle back and just wait for the action. Yeah, so let, let, me, let, me, let me ask you this. You, gotta, you're, you talk about terrain, but, you know, we've all heard this, or at least I have, and I've seen it somewhat, experienced it here, and I've hunted a few states myself, but if you got a gobbler up on the top of a ridge, I mean, for me, I want to either be on that ridge with him and uh, not be downhill from him, meaning when they fly down, say on top of that ridge, I don't want that turkey. I, I don't want that turkey coming down the ridge. I'd rather him come up the ridge or be on the same ridge that I'm on. Is that how you guys feel? Yeah, and that definitely lies with the. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, the turkeys don't got the high ground on you. He can obviously see where the calling's coming from. Right. So if he if if he can see where the calling's coming from. He can, you know, either make out that you only have a hen decoy out there and that hen could definitely see him where he's at. Or uh, if there's no decoy out, he can see that there's nothing there and he's uh, he's going to go the other way. Right. So I guess, I, I, I guess what I'm saying is like worst case scenario, say you're, you can either stay in the bottom or there's another ridge behind you that you can get up on to where if that turkey comes in that bottom, he has to come up that ridge to you. Would you rather that, or would you just stay put down in that bottom and try to lead him down that hill? Um, I, I, well, if, if they're roosted high, a lot of times they like to fly down the bottom as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you got a wet, like an open bottom, that's a lot of times where they pitch down to. Right. So you feel but, like, but but as far as walking down it, do you feel that's a no go for the most part, or? That don't matter, or what's your opinion on that? Yeah, they, if if a bird's up high and I'm down in the bottom, I'm going to try to loop around and get up on the same ridge as he's on. Okay. What about you? you? Know, what about temperature? If I think he's going to come down, I, 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 I'll stay. But mm-hmm. if his temperature's not, I mean, making him come down that hill. I, I called a bird last year across what I'm going to call a canyon in Wisconsin, 
it was about a 150 foot drop on both. I mean, a drop, and then he rose up the other side, and he walked up the whole thing. As I was trying to drop down to get on the same ridge as him, he ended up on the same ridge that I was on. That's a bird I didn't take the temperature of, and I I never thought in a million years that he would cross that. Turkeys are just they're stupid. Turkeys they got defense. they got pea brains. <laughs> Turkey's best defense is how dumb they actually are. That's right. Amen to that. <laughs> they will never do what you think that they logically. They will never do what you think that they will do. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I think that's why I like them because I spend an entire year trying to hunt one deer that I, that I would think is fairly smart, and then I spend the rest of that year trying to hunt whatever stupid turkey will come into my calls. Yep. <laughs> That's why I like turkey. Yeah. What about you, Nate, as far as that terrain topic goes? Um, yeah, I'll at least try to get on the same elevation as him. I I definitely I try to be on the same ridge as they are, you know. I try to pick the to be on the ridge that I think the rooster's on. But if he's over um a ridge and gobbles first thing in the morning, then I try to get above him or at least at the exact same elevation of, of him. Um, my Indiana and Southern Illinois experiences last year, though, those birds, they uh, definitely seem to have been hunted before. And they, uh, like Sean says, uh, you think you can pull them straight up to the top of the hill and those birds just don't. And they almost stick with the, the side hill, that military crest, you know, and work the whole ridge going down and just look up the hill, you know, trying to see that hen making those calls. So I learned uh, to almost stay at the level as uh, best, and that that's what actually helps me out in Wisconsin instead of being directly above them in elevation and trying to pull them straight up. I was kind of perpendicular with them that way. Um, if they went high, I could adjust accordingly and still be fine and have the cover and the topography, the, the side of the hill to do so. Or if they went down, then I was in the position to do, you know, I was in the middle, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's Depending. awesome. Yeah. They, that's a good point. Like, I, I, that's not something I normally do, but I definitely, uh, I like that. I, I, yeah. You can go up. Or, yeah. You can go up or down side saddle them for sure. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely makes sense. Well, guys, I want I got one more topic here, and this one's loaded, um, and that is calling. So, what is your go to calls? What's what's your number one call? Your favorite call? And um, and um, as far as public ground goes, do you call less? Do you call the same? Um, do you call very often? Period on whether it's public or private. Um, so Nate, I'll start with you as far as, um, your, your, uh, arsenal of calls, what you've got and, and take us through what a day looks like on what calls you're using and when. Um, well, typically, uh, when I'm trying to find a bird, um, or to get them started, I'm usually running a slate just cause I can stay quiet, um, and do the subtle stuff great with it not great with a mouth call as, as far as the subtle stuff goes. So I'm typically running some sort of, uh, you know, slate call or, you know, a pot call of some sort. Um, but once I'm actually got the gun in the hand and I actually think the bird could, when I'm actually working the bird closer to me, then I'm 
typically just, I just got a diaphragm in my mouth, but most of the time, if, if I think he's coming, then I'm just typically just scratching the leaves or not even doing anything and letting, letting them really get curious. But it's a, it's all situational again, you know, everything is with me. I keep saying that, you know, right. Um, but are you, are you calling less or more? Do you feel like on public versus private or is it the same? Oh, less. However, like last year, um, the temperature of the birds was telling me I could, I could, uh, you know, get aggressive. And, and, and if I have, it, it all depends on what my scouting telling me is either through visual observations, listening to birds or looking at scratchings. If I feel there's toms roosted with hens and getting hinned up relatively quickly, then first thing in the morning, if, if I'm within a few hundred yards of some roosted birds, that I know are more likely with hens or they're close, then I will get aggressive. I will cut and get loud and try to be the sassiest hen on the ridge. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that a lot of times will work, you know, but it, it, if you got, if you got your birds spread out a little bit and they're, they've done, you know, kind of established that pecking order and you don't have a lot of gobbles coming from one specific section of a ridge, but kind of spread out. Um. Then, then I'll try to get in between them and do the subtle stuff. You know? But like I said, if those birds are going, it, you can pretty much tell a Jake, a two-year-old, and then a three-year-old gobble. I mean, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but those Jakes are honoring. You can, they're just it's almost like a, you know, a kid boy that hasn't hit puberty yet. You know, it's almost a scratch in that gobble and. There, there's usually more of them, and then the two-year-olds, they're, they're a little deeper and gobble um, a little less, but they're still kind of honorary. But then there's that distant, you know, deep gobble just down the ridge. That's that lone old bird, you know, and that's the one I, I typically try to set on if, if, uh, if the ridge is, you know, loaded like that just because, you know, those, those other younger birds, sure, they're going to be more aggressive and probably come into your call but they're also going to be the ones that's going to run that long beard off so if you can get closer to that that deeper gobble or that lone bird then that's going to be the one i think that's going to be a little more apt to uh investigate your calls if you're if you um stay subtle with it but like i said it really all depends on um for me um the temperature of the birds you know and how how they're roosted or, you know, hanging out with the rest of the birds in the flock. You know, if, if more birds are hanging out, then I'm typically a little more aggressive on my decoy choice and my calling. If they seem to be spread out and pressured a little more, then I'm a little more laid back, if, if that all makes sense, you know, and yep. stay subtle my moves, you know what I mean? Yep. What about you, Sean? Call, call selection, uh, when and how and where? Turkey, like Nathan said repeatedly, turkey hunting is so situational. Like the what I was dealing with in Nebraska last year, where the birds were very, uh, and this that was on public, where the birds were very Jake shy, where I couldn't keep. If a gobbler gobbled and he heard, uh, and the Jake heard the hen calling, they were there. Like you couldn't. You couldn't help but call Jason. So, like, I had to do very subtle calling. And then 
fast forward two weeks later, I went to Kansas and I couldn't call enough to call them birds in. Like I was cutting, I mean, gobbling anything I could do to get them birds to come in. They were, I mean, they were eating everything up and the temperatures were high. They were, they were gobbling in almost anything that we threw at them. And basically, like I was talking about earlier, I just bounced around public ground, public ground, public ground, public ground until I found a bird that was hot. And I sawed on that thing until he was in my lap. I think in, uh, we were in Kansas for four days. I called in like 11 birds in the shotgun range. And one thing or the other happened and we didn't end up getting them. We ended up killing there were uh, four of us. We killed four birds in Kansas and one bird in Nebraska in five days. Dang, so awesome. I mean, well, I can I can I can tell you guys just from from my experience. I've hunted several states in, in Illinois too, but I like the mouth call. Um, I just I really like the that's mouth call. That's all I like. Just yeah, okay, because I get a lot of times I move in so tight on their roost. Uh, especially on the home farm here, I, I do. I, I just love watching them fly down, and I'm not going to lie. I'll be the first to admit, I know I overcall, and I don't care. Um, it's just because I love, I want I want the show. I'm there for the show, and if I can't get the show, I'm, I, you know, I'll come back another day. I know, I think I'll get another That's chance awesome. or get get a show. Go ahead, Sean. That's why I turkey them, the gobbling, the strutting, the show. I want a bird that's going to play the game. It's yeah. a chess match between you and one bird, and if you can get it done, and if they play it the right way, there's almost nothing sweeter. I mean, the thrill of it in the moment is, I mean, it's, I, I think that two, 30 seconds before you shoot a gobbler, before, like, before you first see them, is probably more exciting than 160, 170-inch whitetail coming in the range. Oh, yeah. It's the uh, anticipation of a buck or a, a, a turkey coming, like, you can hear them, you can hear them spitting and drumming. When you, can hear, the inner, when you can hear the innards of their body rattle when they gobble. Oh, my God. That's when you yeah. know, that's, that's when everything is just like, oh, hair standing up, your neck hair standing up. The world where you're waiting to see that redhead pop up above the hill, I, there ain't there is nothing sweeter than that. I've killed I've killed some pretty big deer, and like none of those moments ever like stand out as hard as like the like thirty seconds when you're waiting there for that bird to pop his head over the hill when he's just you can hear the the reverberation in his chest when he's gobbling or the spitting and drumming. For sure, so, that's why. Yeah, and that's why, like, in turkey hunting so cheap out of state, and this is what this whole podcast is about, you can go do it anywhere for almost nothing. Yeah, I mean, I especially mean, when you relate it to a big game hunt or whatever, it's not even a fraction of the cost. The dumb stuff you spend $300 on. Yeah. I mean, I mean you, could, you could have an a, a awesome out-of-state experience. Well, that's a cool thing. You're out of state. You're hunting ground that you've never set foot on. When you're seeing new sites, you're you're drinking at new bars, you're meeting new friends. I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's 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 great. That's what I love about it. Like you meet new, like 
one of my best tactics on finding new public ground or new private ground to hunt on is go to a local watering hole, even if it's just for lunch. Sit down and talk with locals. It, I mean, 15 minutes talking to a local, you could have, you could score a turkey hunting property of a lifetime. Or <laughs> in the same conversation, if you're talking about deer, the guy would laugh you out of the tavern. Yeah. I mean, what I love about turkey hunting. It's for all sure. an experience. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't know. I just... Uh... I have a hard time not overcalling. I mean, even if I know they're coming, like I want them to keep gobbling. When they get to the decoy, I want you to gobble again. <laughs> I mean, uh, oh, yeah. are Nate? Are you the same way, or do you do you play nobody's yeah. home and and just let them come in? Well, uh, like I said, it all depends. Like that hunt a few years ago I had with Jacob, where we uh, the five strutters, you know, on the home farm, they flew down with a hen, all long beards, and I just got like sat here in hell man i'd like i was just i felt like i couldn't have overcalled to those turkeys and that's exactly what it took and every single one of them broke off that hen and strutted all the way to our decoys which was about 200 yards off of that hen just because i would i was resilient on it i i figured I, I figured at that point they were all strutting they're all in love they're not going to, you know, scare away from my calling. They're just going to stay with that hen, and worst comes to worst. They'll want, they can't all breed her, so eventually one of them is going to break away at some point in the day and come back to, you know, that mayhem that I, I was making out of my mouth, you know what I mean? But it, it was crazy. Just, I think that was the most aggressive I've ever got yeah. uh, when it came to Turkey. But, and then a few weeks later, um, on my public land bird, um, like I called once, uh, just, you know, mid morning to see where he is at and he gobbled and that, that's all it took. It was just scratching in the leaves the rest of the way, you know? So it's all situational with me, you know? Sure. I, I, you definitely got to start soft and subtle because if you start loud, you can't go back. Yeah. If that sense, you know, volume and, uh, Sometimes you got to be sweet Catholic girl. Sometimes you got to be lot lizard. All <laughs> <laughs> uh, situational. Yep, I, I'm thinking of that hunt two years ago I had with my buddy Lee on his ground. One of the coolest hunts I've ever been on. Just that was hunt. well the what what happened is they we saw him in the roost. We got in there tight and uh, literally just belly crawled and put a decoy out five like literally five feet in front of Lee. And, uh, um, anyways, they flew down and initially I thought, you know, they're coming, they're hammering their, the temperatures right there firing, but then the hens came down and they were getting tied up with them just outside of range and they started working away. And I'm not going to lie. I don't know how my mouth call had reads left after that hunt because I literally just cut everything I had in them. I mean, I was still, I was still cutting while they were gobbling. I mean, I was just going AWOL. Because I knew those hens were trying to take those gobblers away, and, right. and die. yep, it's do or die. It's it's either it's going to happen or it's not. Simple as that. And I got them, I got them fired up enough that I actually pulled all of those gobblers away from the hens and brought them all to the decoys. And the hens were following the toms to the decoy. And yeah, that's wild. That's wild. I've never had that happen, but that's the type of show that I'm talking about. Like that. That to me was worth five years of turkey hunts. You know, nobody's home, no gobble, 
and, and just shoot a Tom, I guess for me. And, sure. but, and you're right too, especially on the, on the roost, but back to that, the gobblers, the other part that really gets me fired up is going crazy with another hen. I mean, getting in a fight with a hen and just sure. going back and forth is just wild. And, right. and if you can get that and that hen keeps responding and you keep mimicking her, I mean, it's good. It's bound to fire up a Tom or bring a Tom in sure. with her. Um, equally, I love that just much personally. It just, um, it's a lot of fun and, and mouth, another part with the mouth calling, you know, too, you don't have all that movement. And especially for us guys, we're trying to run a freaking camera, shoot a, sure. shoot a gun or a bow and, and call all simultaneously. So it's just so much easier with the mouth call. Um, a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, a lot of stuff going on. And I've had I've had gobblers before that literally would gobble to a mouth call, not gobble again, and then wouldn't gobble to my mouth call. I'd hit a, a slate call. He'd gobble the slate call. I'd hit the slate call again. He wouldn't hit it again. I'd hit him with a, um, a box call or something else, and he'd fire up and just go repeat. And uh, I finally brought that gobbler in, but, man, that, that thing was really making me go through the arsenal. <laughs> But My favorite, I, I don't have turkeys. I don't have an arsenal. <laughs> I carry a mouth call. Say that again. My turkeys, though, is I don't have an arsenal. I carry a mouth call. Gotcha. Would you say, Nate? I go through. A, I go through about a dozen mouth calls in a season. <laughs> yeah, you blow hard. <laughs> I've heard that. <laughs> Nate, would you say? Uh, my favorite way to kill turkeys, though, is to know exactly what limb they're sitting on uh, the morning I am heading out there. And that, that way you ain't even got to touch a call, man. If he sees that decoy, he's pitching down right in the gun range, right off the, right off the bat. Those are my favorite. And that's, uh, in my opinion, that's when you, you know, I think, uh, you can set, that's what separates the men from the boys and turkey hunting is when you can get within gun range of a roosted turkey and not even touch a call. And he'd, he drops down and can't even take one step and you let him have it. Yeah. Those, uh, I, I'm a roosting fanatic, man. I just, I absolutely love listening to those birds. And if, uh, if I know what tree they're in, it's, uh, I, do too. But, uh, I, I do too. I love the roost, but my only problem with the roost is that when you get so close for us filming, that becomes a problem because we don't have a lot of, uh, light, you know, to, for the film, which, which sucks, but is what it is. But yes, I agree. If you can get it in close on a roost and then yeah. pitch down and smash them right away. I mean, it's, it's freaking incredible. Yeah. My favorite um, time a couple of years ago before I even started with team radical, I was hunting with the, the infamous Bojack and, uh, that these birds were roosted probably 200 yards from the road. And, I told him we, we need to be underneath those birds three hours before it, it even gets gray light. And he thought I was high. And I was like, well, I'm scared. And I'm glad we did because, I mean, we didn't know exactly what tree they were in until we got in there. We started seeing a tom. We could see his beard uh, right above us, roosted about 30 feet up in this big old oak tree. We, we threw out a strutter decoy about 20 yards in front of us right underneath this tree. And uh, it was getting gray light, and the hens down the ridge started waking up. But then we started seeing these flashlights working down this ridge. They knew those birds were roosted there, and um, 
they heard him from their campsite uh, the night before when Bojack was up in there and put him to bed. They were moving in on that bird, but I tell you what, they didn't cross that creek, and as soon as it got light and that bird woke up, he started strutting on the limb because he'd seen our decoy. And I mean, when I say he flew down on the back of that decoy, he flew down on the back of that decoy, and Bojack let him have it. I wow. mean, it was, it was, it was amazing. Didn't even touch a call, man. And <laughs> it was 200 yards from the road. I'm sure we pissed off those other guys, but uh, made it back know, in time for breakfast. When it comes to the public hunting, especially, man, if if you can if you can put one to bed, you better be at least within 150, 200 yards of them, if not 60 yards of them the very next morning well just a, just a just a quick question on that if you're getting in there that early are you using a flashlight to get in there or are you just walking See, that slow i i'm usually i'll try to i feel comfortable walking at normal pace within 200 yards of a, a roost tree but once i get any closer than that i'm usually switching over to a red beam uh headlamp and i'm going super slow but like i said i try to allocate plenty of time um, to get in there before they even think about waking up because you can kind of get away with a lot if, if they're sleeping because they're used to critters and deer and shit, you know, walking underneath of them all night. But um, if you got a little bit of wind, that also helps. But just I just try to allocate plenty of time and get in there nice and slow, especially those those last uh, 100 yards or so. Right. On. I've found if you, you get in, daylight you can walk right underneath them you can run right underneath them you get in like pitch dark before they're awake because like Nate said there's there's tons of critters that are walking around the woods a turkey's not a very smart animal they're not they're not going to be able to distinguish your footsteps between a, a deer or whatever yeah you, you just try to sound like a normal animal you know and not yeah. like elephants you know Generally speaking, three hours before three hours before daylight, there's a good chance I still have a bush light in my hand. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I typically got a got an hour walk, and I, I don't know. I just there's something about for me sitting on a ridge early as hell in the morning on a nice warm spring morning when I know there's a turkey on the ridge somewhere. I just I am a creature of the darkness. That's when I feel safe when I'm hunting because that's that's when I feel like I can I can I can move around and you know I can get up there and I can I usually always have a thermos full of coffee. So I'm I'm sitting there hanging out, you know, playing on my phone, drinking coffee, and you know, and then when yeah. it gets closer, I start getting in the game time mode. But I just want to be up in there, not only to not you know worry about blowing the turkey off, but like Bo Jackson instance on that hunt we see those other flashlights coming down the ridge i'm picking up my flashlight and i'm saying hey uh uh-uh. <laughs> we already got this spot what i mean so it's like uh early bird gets the worm you know what i mean i uh that's, that's I, for sure I, so i might as well be out there underneath of one absolutely what'd you say sean i said that's for sure on the public ground the early bird gets the worm Right on. That first guy in, I mean, generally has the right to the bird that they're on. And uh, I think that's good practice no matter who you are or where you're hunting. If, 
Yep. You walk into a piece of public ground, there's somebody already there. It's, that's, that's their boat. Well, another thing that I've uh, I've experienced this more than once, hens will almost nine times out of ten, in my experiences, wake up and make some sort of call before a gobbler ever will. And even if it's a subtle tree yelp and does it one time at, you know, an hour and a half before it even gets gray light, you then, then you know. You know there's hens up there and, you know, that, that changes everything. Even, you know what I'm saying, it's just yeah. every little helps when it's out there and you just got to be there you and be very observant you know what i mean so yeah. one of my favorite things is whenever you it starts to get when it starts to get gray light one of my favorite things is when it starts to get gray light and you hear gobblers on your right and you hear all the hens going crazy on your left sure and you're right and you're right in between them it's almost like you get a little tickle in your fancy like Oh, this is gonna get stupid quick, and <laughs> it usually does. I, I get a tickle on my pants every time I hear a gobble. <laughs> but another good reason why I'm up there so early is if I don't know exactly what tree a bird is on, and if it's early season to where there's not a lot of leaves on the trees, and hopefully there's some sort of moonlight. If you allocate enough time and go slow and use some binoculars, you can a lot of times find turkeys roosted uh, up in trees um, to where they don't even got a gobble for you to, you know, to close that last little bit. You just you just hunker down and just wait for the show, you know what I mean? Right on, right on. Well, well hey, guys. I'm ready. <laughs> well, hey, guys, we're an hour and 20 minutes into this. We're going to call it a wrap. I know we could sit here and probably talk all freaking night. Um, but thanks a million for you guys coming on. I know you guys are going to absolutely smash some turkeys coming up here real soon. I'm, uh, I'm hoping we have a great year this year, all of us and, uh, uh, in our piece of crap state of Illinois and you guys in the other States as well. So any closing thoughts for our listeners, guys, I'll start with you, Sean. Don't be afraid to try something. I mean, if you've ever thought about going out of state, just do it, man. And if you have any questions or anything, reach out to us. Uh, I'm sure Nate, Kyle, myself, uh, and there's a few other of us that hunt out of state. We'd be more than happy to answer some questions for you. We're not going to give you waypoints or anything, but uh, if, if you got any questions, we'd be more than happy to have, answer them for you. Right on. How about you, Nate? I'm the same way. If anybody has any questions, feel free to hit us up. I'm always down to talk turkey with people and help uh, other folks out and don't like sean said don't be afraid to get out there and try some new public ground or even knock on doors and get out there and try some different states out it's a uh, it's a hell of a lot of fun and you can do it relatively inexpensively if you're willing to work a little bit and rough it a little bit so get out there and have some fun and hunt safe right on well, hey, guys, that's a wrap for the Team Radical podcast. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it and learned something. And like Nate and Sean both said, if you guys have any questions or whatever, feel free to reach out. Message us. Uh, we'll do our best to answer for you. So with that being said, that's the end of the Team Radical podcast. You guys have a great night.